Hello, I'm Michael Kim, and I'm your host for today's podcast. I have with me Charles Sadler. He has an MDiv from Princeton Theological Seminary and is a candidate for ordination in the Presbytery of Detroit. He has a strong background in working with persons in crisis through his work at Angela Hospice and at the Bowman Hospitals in Royal Oak and Farmington. He started serving as the pastor of Star Presbyterian Church in Royal Oak, Michigan, in April 2021. Many of you within the Presbytery may know him as he has been active in providing pulpit services at several of our local churches since 2014. He's married and has a 16-month son and a dog. Charles, welcome. Thank you, Mike. You're a young adult and uh, you know, you're, you've gone through seminary. So the big question is, how did you sustain your spiritual practice after high school? And what inspired you to explore your calling to be ordained? Yes, I am a young adult. That's still the time of my life that I get to enjoy and be involved in. And this is an interesting question uh, for me personally, because I really feel that I was definitely gifted some wonderful spiritual practices, some definite interest in spiritual practices, too, from the youth group that I grew up at. I grew up at a, in a youth group at St. Thomas Presbyterian Community Church. And, you know, I really credit that youth program. It's excellent leadership, both adults and youth for providing me this area in my life, this time in my life where I could really just start to wrestle with spiritual questions about life, God, evil, goodness, and, you know, what it is exactly that I'm called to do. What do I want to do? What, wh why do I want to do anything too? And I went to Alma College and I, I took that interest of, of wanting to be spiritual, of wanting to pursue these sort of questions and these thoughts and these, you know, relationships too, uh, with me to college. And I, I feel like I really started pursuing it more. Uh, I found an outlet for these questions in sort of studying uh, for a religious studies major and philosophy degree. Uh, now, in my view, um, I, I don't think that's something everybody is going to do. Not everybody's going to walk this same road in college and, and get, you know, and, and go through a, a lengthy education, mm. uh, all in, you know, what was really a pursuit that I felt was to know God better. That was sort of at the, the core of it all is I wanted to know God better. And that, mm. that was sort of the way that I did it. Um, and I was just, it was something that I was really passionate about, something I was really interested in. And I, I did that through, you know, reading, study, formal class discussion, and all that helped to sort of continue the momentum of a spiritual life. And what I think eventually really led me to seminary is this sort of interest in knowing God better and in growing closer and in learning more. And I think the interesting thing about knowing God is it definitely can be very intellectual. Um, you can definitely, you can study books, uh, you can read things, you can be in classes, uh, and that it can all be very intellectual, can all be very heady and, and very satisfying too. I think, I think a lot of people experience uh, God and know God very intellectually. I mean, I, I, just reading some theologians, I, you know, I'm always impressed and uh, just astounded how uh, deep their intellectual relationship is with God. I found also personally, it's also very feelings-based, and I don't think I had that feeling-based relationship with God until I was 
moved and called to seminary and and then even further after seminary when I did clinical pastoral education at Beaumont Health uh, studying to become a chaplain or engaging in the practice of being a chaplain. That's when I feel I encountered God on a feeling level, um, you know, feeling guided, feeling grateful, feeling loved, feeling moved and pulled by the spirit in these new directions, um, you know, day to day, you know, you know, just whether or not that was in the, the chance meeting of uh, somebody in the hospital or uh, the sort of discovery of a, a new author, a theologian that really grounded my spiritual experience. In my spiritual practices, I felt, uh, you know, were grown very gradually, very slowly, honestly. Mm. You know, I, you know, the things I care about that I, that sustain my spiritual life is, is reading the Bible. Um, you know, I remember in seminary, I was like, I want to read this every day. And I missed that mark frequently, um, you know, where I would say I, I had this thought system set up where I'm going to start in somewhere in the Old Testament and I'm going to read somewhere in the New Testament by the end of the week. And I'm going to sort of move in these different things. It took me probably two years to become consistent with that. Um, and something now I very joyfully get to in, involved in. I have this own system set up that I use with an app that I track you know, the different books of the Bible I'm reading through, you know, on a weekly, monthly and yearly level. And that took me two years to sort of really get gradually uh, committed to. So I find that spiritual practices are definitely something um, that do sustain your spiritual life. But for me, I found it was a gradual process to develop, to adapt, and to really follow. And the thing that helped me along those ways of those gradual processes were spiritual mentors, was through education, and it really was through the community around me too. And as the communities that I was involved in in different ways. Mm-hmm. Next question, how did you meet your wife? So my wife and I both met in our church youth group we attended growing up, um, just this you know, St. Thomas, uh, our parents still attend that church, actually. And we were both in grade school when we met. And we started dating when I went off to college, which is uh, a bit odd. She was still in uh, high school. I went to college as a freshman. Uh, so our relationship was always a long distance relationship for mm. around seven years or so between 2010 to 2017, when I was in college and then seminary. A difficult journey together, but one that we're thankful to have persevered through. And now that we, uh, I think we enjoy an, an interesting intimacy, even when we're away from each other and have, you know, definitely developed, I think, uh, a strong communication system from that too. Uh, but yeah, we both met in church, which is, uh, I think about that youth group and at that time, and, uh, you know, we're probably a unique <laughs> pair out of that group I, mm. I was talking with my wife this morning I was like did anyone else sort of date? not that you know parents are bringing their children to church so that they <laughs> find their, their future spouse or anything like right. that and definitely was not the purpose not, not the mission statement of that youth group um, but we're just an odd pair that fell in love and uh, you know yeah grew a, it works yeah grew a mutual life together that um, we're so thankful for <laughs> I was pretty fortunate too, because um, my wife is the only person I've ever dated. I just, I did not really have a lot of interest um, uh, in sort of dating when I was in high school and in, in middle school. I mean, I've heard just 
to me, it feels wild stories of today's you know, <laughs> children starting to date when they're in middle school or yeah, right. elementary kids having a boyfriend and a girlfriend. And uh, it's just a sign of our changing times and the way the children are changing. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, for me growing up, I just never really uh, had that much uh, initiative or gumption to go out there and ask somebody out and uh uh, just kind of found myself at a certain point, just feeling more and more attracted and interested in, in my, you know, my wife at the time and just, uh, it just came naturally. Of, yeah. Yeah. Just, it was, it was a very natural organic uh, relationship that we formed. And I mean, it definitely started out uh, just more as a friendship too. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and turned into a, a romantic relationship, but it ended in or, or changed into marriage <laughs> that right. we continue right. to enjoy today. Yeah, and from my experience, it continues to evolve as parenthood and so on. On to our final question. Finding young adults in pews can be a rare sight these days. What ideas do you have that can make church more meaningful for young adults? I mean, this is the question of the age. And, uh, you know, I've been asked this question by more than one person, and I just like to preface this question saying that I, I don't know the answer. Um, I have ideas, but I don't know the answer because I think if the church as a whole knew this answer, so many of our churches would be in a different a different position than they are these days. Um, for my piece, I just feel that there's a growing disconnect between spiritual language and religious language that needs to be bridged. I find the need to retrain ourselves in good spiritual language that has always been a part of God's story, has always been uh, found in the scriptures so that we can better, I think, reflect and share our spiritual journeys with God. And a a lot of this language and the skill of using this language uh, resides away from your average church member. Uh, It's taught, you know, in seminary, it's taught Mm -hmm. in in uh, chaplaincy programs. It's taught, you know, to those who are sent to lead. And I mean, rightfully so, I think, you know, spiritual leaders, religious leaders need to be uh, able to communicate their story, you know, and be able to tie people's stories together. And this is not me saying that everyone uh, that wants to be in church needs to go to all this education because not everybody has that opportunity. Not everybody has that right. desire or that passion. And at the same time, I think that we need to learn way or figure out ways to uh, teach this education, this language a bit more so that people can clearly communicate why church, why right. a relationship with God is important to them beyond, you know, simple cliches, beyond, you know, simple, you know, redundant, you know, because God is God. But why? You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's got to be, be more than that. There's, there's got to be more to your story, to, to your experience with God that is important. And that, to, I think, is what draws people to people that have these relationships with God, these experiences with God that um, are really, you know, the entirety of the Bible is people's relationships and experiences with God, individual and community experiences with God from, you know, Abraham to Moses to the prophets to Jesus and, and the disciples. All of that 
is people's experience and relationships with God and connecting those experiences of people found in the Bible to experiences of people today is the work of preaching, mm-hmm. is the goal of preaching. And making church more meaningful means connecting to what is meaningful in people's lives. Young people, well, certainly not a monolith and, and certainly not as a whole could agree with this statement, are you know people concerned with justice and equality. So is God. I mean, you read the prophets of Israel and you will experience a God who is deeply committed to justice. And as a young person, it's meaningful for me to continue to grow spiritually, to ask questions of why in a community, and to experience God with others. These are the meaningful elements of my spiritual life, of why I go to church on Sunday morning, of why I have been drawn and called to this life of service. As a young person, you know, these questions of why in a community and of experiencing God with others, these these elements of our lives that I think are just maybe, I don't, I don't, I feel like ignored is maybe too strong of a word, but definitely not given space within our communities as much. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I learned this language uh, around spirituality through my, you know, very formal training as a chaplain and encountering people mm-hmm. going through the spiritual pain and transformation of asking God why. And, and, right. and it's, it's, you know, it's definitely not something I learned in church when I was younger, but it's something I'm finding increasingly needed in congregations. The wrestling uh, with difficult questions is something that the church is called to be involved with. It, it needs to be involved with. Mm-hmm. And I think for too long, it's it's a place of escape from those questions, a place of just wanting to feel good. And I want people to feel joy in church. I also want people to know it's okay to feel sorrow in church. You know, and my, my example of this is of why sorrow is okay to feel in church is we have a God that can feel sorrow. You know, verse 35 from John 11 is quoted jokingly sometimes as people's favorite verse, but Jesus wept is a perfect verse to describe Jesus. Full of feeling, full of sorrow, the son of God weeps at the death of a friend, not even a family member, a friend. So God invites people to experience these feelings and experience uh, uh, experiences. And I know I've witnessed in my own chaplaincy work and in my own spiritual life, the, the spirit joining in the sorrow of a family after death. So, you know, where I, I the need that I see is churches needing to open themselves up to this larger range of emotions and mm. to just simply remember that God is participating and present in those experiences. That resonates with my past experience. I was a director of uh, college ministry a while ago, and a common theme that I would see come up is, you know, high school youth group members moving on to college and then, you know, slowly fading away. And uh, some of those members, uh, you know, I would, I would ask what's, what's causing you to leave. Um, And a lot of times they, they wouldn't say directly, but I I did get a strong sense that something has changed. Mm. Uh, They're, 
their values or their or they might at some in some cases I think they felt like they failed you know they were taught a certain moral set of moral standards um, in youth group and they didn't quite live up to all of them while at college and then uh, then felt like they couldn't come back like they, they they didn't belong at church anymore sort of so to speak so yeah I I think what you st- stated resonates quite quite strongly with mm. me at least yeah I mean to me that it you know that sounds like the the failure to not recognize how deep God's forgiveness is um, and to recognize that you know any failing uh, is really just a, a a time of growth and experience, right? (laughs) Life and experience of life. And I mean, definitely, I mean, you know, the time after high school is a a time of transformation for most people, right? Yeah. You know, they go through really, you know, they can go through a lot of different life transitions. Uh, You know, I think definitely your, your late teens and your twenties is a pretty active time of transition in America for most, for most people. Uh, you know, whether or not that's moving and relocating, whether or not it's finding, you know, uh, opportunities for employment, uh, starting families, you know, all these things are these new experiences uh, that, you know, need to be uh, relatable uh, and need to be communicated as, as meaningful uh, to, you know, by church communities as, as, as things, you know, we want to recognize and be involved in. And I, I, I just it's not quite there at this point yet. And it's something we need to definitely something we need to flex and learn. Well, Charles, thanks so much for sharing your background um, and sharing your life experience and sharing your perspectives with us today. Oh, Mike, I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. We look forward to seeing how and where you will progress uh, in, in your ministry. Me too. <laughs> it's, it's a question I'm uh, very <laughs> curious about as well. <laughs>